0: 43, and we're going to begin from verse 1. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 1. And just a phrase particularly on my heart for this morning to bring to you. Isaiah 43 and verse 1. But now, thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned." Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Saviour. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honourable and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Even every one that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, The title of the message, if you like titles, um, I sometimes remember to give titles, other times I forget when I'm in a rush. I'm in a rush this morning, but I'm also remembered, so it's quite amazing. Um, Just the little phrase that's mentioned in the second verse, sorry, in the first verse, thou art mine, you are mine. And I really want us to meditate on that phrase and hang everything around that this morning. You know, when we realise the import of such a statement, you know, it will gladden our hearts and give fresh hope to us. These words, you know, are balm uh, to the wounded and strength to the weak. You are mine. Now, Obviously, this is speaking primarily of the people of Israel. And the Lord is saying to them, you as a people are mine. But also for us as Gentiles, we come into the blessing of the new covenant and we come into the glorious truth that we too can know God in the way that the Jewish people can know God in the person of the Lord Jesus. And the covenants given to Israel, which still belong to them, we come into by the grace of God. Amazing. What is the Lord saying then When he says to us, when he says to Israel, you are mine, what is he actually stating? You know, this isn't some dictator coming to his people and seeking to control them and subjugate them with some fear and tell them, you are mine and will do as I tell you in a kind of indignant fashion. Many dictators will do that. But that's not the way the Lord is coming to his people here in Isaiah chapter 43. He's coming to them in love. And he's coming to them out of his grace and his mercy. And he's effectively saying, I am responsible for you. I'm taking responsibility for you. You are mine. This is tremendous. And when we realize that in our own walk with God... The Lord takes responsibility because we are his, primarily. It should take the weight off our shoulders as we recognize the Lord is in control of our lives. When we consider the situation that the children of Israel were in at this time, it is even more astonishing that the Lord says to them, you are mine. When you go back to the previous chapter, you realize that the Lord has been dealing strongly with his own people. And he will discipline his people strongly. He will deal with our iniquities. And we read from verse 22 of chapter 42 but this is a people robbed and spoiled now this is set in the scene for you of where israel were at at this time but this is a people robbed and spoiled they are all of them snared in holes and they are hid in prison houses they are for a prey and none delivereth for a spoil and none saith restore You see the kind of terrible condition the people of God were in at this time. Verse 23, who among you will give ear to this? Who will hearken and hear for the time to come? Who gave Jacob for a spoil and Israel to the robbers? Did not the Lord, he against whom we have sinned? For they would not walk in his ways, neither were they obedient unto his law. Therefore he hath poured upon him the fury of his anger and the strength of battle, and it hath set him on fire round about, yet he knew not, and it burned him, yet he laid it not to heart. Isn't that an amazing thing? That even though Israel knew such strong rebuke and dealings with God, even though the Lord allowed this fire as it were, To be round about them, they knew not. Even though it burned them, they didn't lay it to heart. What a tragedy it is when a child receives discipline from his father and then doesn't even take it to heart. How do you deal with a child like this? How do you deal with somebody who will not respond to discipline? Now, remember, the Lord is slow to anger. Don't think the Lord in a moment suddenly thought, well, I'm really annoyed with Israel. I'm just going to go and pour out my anger on them. The Lord's not like that. He's slow to anger. He is self-controlled in the way he deals with his people. You can be sure when the Lord's dealing strongly with his people, he has good reason to. It's not because somehow he has just had a bad day, as it were. The Lord looks upon the sin and the Lord has to judge sin and deal with sin in his people. The Lord just can't let us live a loose lifestyle. He deals with his people when they sin. And yet the rebellion continues. And then you get to chapter 3 and you read these two words. But now. You know, if I didn't know anything more after chapter 3, uh, after verse 1 and those two words, but now, I would have been tempted to believe that God had had enough. This was it. You don't even take my rebukes to heart. I even give you fire and you don't take it on. What I do in you. But now, I would be waiting for the big word here. To come. But what does the Lord say to Israel? But now, thus says the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel fear not. For I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by name, thou art mine. I mean, my jaw drops at this. This is extraordinary, you see. It's not because God is light on sin that you have these words here. God is more serious about sin than anybody in this room. But God is also an unchanging God. And when he says something in covenant, he keeps his word. And he intercepts his own dealings with Israel. He's shown them that they haven't even responded to his own disciplines. So he says, and now what I'll do is I'll intercept and I'll bring you through to me. Incredible. You know what it says in the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, please. Going to read... From verse 5. And I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be swift witnesses against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, and against false swearers, and against those that oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from his right, and fear me not, saith the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob, are not consumed. What an extraordinary statement. I would have thought, therefore, you sons of Jacob are consumed. But the Lord is a covenant keeping God who doesn't change his mind over what he says. Do you remember what it says in the book of Romans, chapter 11? And verse 29, it says the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. That's why to say that God is finished with Israel and replaced Israel with the church is to say that God has changed his mind over his covenant promises. a very dangerous thing to do, actually. Because if God can change his mind over Israel, how can you be sure he can't change his mind over you? But I want to remind you about something this morning. You live in England. You live in 2020. And on your modern maps, there is a place called Israel that's there today. And God has sent from afar to bring them from all the corners of the globe back to the land. And God has given them government. And God has given them great agriculture, great scientists are in the land. The land has blossomed in spite of the fact that all the surrounding nations are against us. God has saved her in various wars. Why? Israel came back in unbelief. The Bible says that they are enemies of the gospel. That's a strong word. They are enemies of the gospel for your sake, Gentiles. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. When we touch upon election, when we touch upon God's initiating and his choosing, you cannot reduce it to humanistic thinking. We are dealing in the realms that are beyond our finite minds. Let me put it like this. You may wonder why the Lord loves Israel, but why does the Lord love you? Are you any different from Jacob? Jacob is there representing us all. Why did the Lord intercept? Why did he intervene in Isaiah 43? Because he decided that he loved Jacob. There's no other explanation for it. It's because God is determined to fulfill his purposes. And I tell you this, dear friends, as sure as I stand here today, that God will wrestle Jacob until he becomes Israel. And one day, there's going to be a revival amongst the Jewish people. And they're going to see the one whom they've pierced. There's going to be a fountain opened for sin for the people of Israel. The same fountain that you've drunk from, they will drink from. They will repent when the spirit of grace and supplication comes upon them. What a day that's going to be. But the only reasons they're going to do it is not because they earned it because God has written it in his word. He's faithful. He's going to do it because he's spoken these words over Israel. You are mine. And the same is true of you. If you're born again of the Spirit this morning, the Lord states over your life, you are mine. Often we think of the Lord as ours, particularly when we're young in the Lord. We think the Lord Jesus is there in heaven for us. And we expect him to do everything for us. And it there's a total innocence in it. But we're like the Shulamite woman in her early days of love. She thinks of her beloved as hers. She says, my beloved is mine. And then she says, and I'm his. Sort of secondary. But the primary reason for coming into relationship with her beloved is that he is hers. And then you go through Song of Solomon and there's more maturity. She grows in her love, in a maturity. And then she says this, I am his. I am my beloved's and he is mine. She changes it around. She now sees that she is his. The more you go on with the Lord and enter into this love relationship with the Lord, the less you find you own of yourself. It's not that you owned anything, but you just thought you did. (laughs) But she still hasn't reached full maturity yet. She goes on later in the book of Solomon to say, I am my beloved's and his desire. Is toward me. That's maturity. What is she concerned about? I am his and his desire. That's it. Is toward me. You see, the greatest thing for us to realize is that the Lord not only entered into our lives, but before as yet we were, he had a purpose to bring us to himself. Do you realize that? You're not haphazardly a Christian by some lucky chance that you came across an evangelist. God foreknew you. And he had a purpose before you were as yet. And when he sets his love upon you, It is sure. Do you understand that? Some of you do, but I don't think all of you do. Why are so many Christians crippled with guilt? We've been singing this morning that, and speaking of the fact that our guilt is gone. No guilt in life, no fear in death. But some of you live in guilt if you're honest quietly you suffer there because somehow the truth hasn't sunk deeply into your heart concerning the nature of god's love experientially now some of us shy away from this because we see the excess and the kind of way that love is used and banded about in modern day church and truly it is the case That people use the love of God as a lever to live the way they want to live. But those who seek to use the love of God to bring the grace of God into lasciviousness, do so because they don't really know the love of God. If you've experienced the love of God, you've been melted and smashed. The thought of living the love of God out for a joyride. Just, you cannot contemplate it. The love of God in your hearts is set apart as something so precious that cannot be treated as something common. Never. Never. Jesus said, concerning his disciples, it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them until they all deserted him. Does it say that? Or does it? Did they all desert him? Yes, they did. Having loved his own who were in the world, it says, he loved them to the end. Or loved them to the uttermost. That's how the Lord loves you. It's not that he thinks you're such a special person of yourself and I'm such a special person that he decided to save us. I was once going past a church and it almost made me feel felt feel ill what I read on the sign. The sign, you know, it's a good opportunity to give evangelistic texts, isn't it? Well, these people decided they weren't going to have a Bible verse on there, but they put this God thinks you're amazing. Well, that's just ridiculous. There's nothing in us of ourselves that is amazing. We are fallen sinners, we are those that are rebels. We hate God. You're not a Christian because you're a God lover by nature. You and I are like Jacob. We are rebels. We have wicked hearts. Our hearts are deceitful above all things. Your heart, my heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. How do you like that for a commentary? It's not very flattering, is it? But I'm not here to flatter you this morning. And you're not here to hear flattery either, I know. Yet God commendeth his love to us in the while we were yet sinners. Incredible. Christ, the Messiah, died for us. Amazing. He didn't die for us because we... He saw there was a lot of potential in our flesh to do something for his kingdom. God commends his love to us in that while we were ugly, while we were disfigured in our sin, everything abhorrent to what is heavenly, Christ came and died for us. Getting back to the text of Isaiah 43, I want you to think about this, friends. Some of us, we live under a weight of guilt and condemnation. We live in it because we haven't appreciated or come into the understanding of what has happened to us when we've been born of the Spirit of God and what God's love is really like. Well, just look at these verses with me. Don't take my word for it. Let's have a look. But now, thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called thee by name. Thou art mine. When we look at this phrase, thou art mine, How were the people of Israel the Lord's? Well, the first few verses show us, don't they? first line shows us. Thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob. Why was Jacob the Lord's? Because the Lord created Jacob. That's it. (laughs) When you think about it, the reason... That any of us are the Lord's is simply because the Lord has made us. In creation, naturally, yes, but in recreation, spiritually as well. We are the work of the Lord's hands. Jacob was the work of the Lord's hands. He created him. Now, the word created here means to cut, to carve, to form by a cutting, to produce The Lord will only own that which originates with him. Now that's important because if any of us have a religious spirit or we're just churchgoers or we're just those who seek to be do-gooders, that's not going to inherit the kingdom of God. The only thing, the only people that the Lord will say, you are mine, are those that he has carved out, are those that he has brought to himself, that he has created. You need to be born of the Spirit if God's going to say over your life, you are mine. But the wonderful thing is, for those of us born of the Spirit this morning, we are saved because the Lord has created us. We are His workmanship. Do you remember what it says in Psalm 100? I love Psalm 100. Turn there with me for a moment, please. Psalm 100. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing, singing. And then it says, know ye. Know ye. That means the psalmist is wanting you to, to, to realize something. This is important. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. He is God. That means there should be never be superstars in the pulpit. That means that there should never be the praising of man in the house of God. Only the praising of the Lord. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. There you go. That's true of creation, isn't it? You didn't choose to be made. Physically, you were created. Well, it's true spiritually as well. If you're born again of the Spirit of God, know this, that it is God that has made you and not you. Do you remember what the Lord Jesus said to his disciples? You cannot get away from these words. You did not choose me, but I chose you. We didn't wake up one day and think, wouldn't it be good if we became Christians? Everything to do with your salvation began with the Saviour. And he came to you and he began dealing with your heart. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Bringing that wonderful imagery of the Lord as our shepherd. And we are his sheep. You know one thing about the Lord, don't you, that's wonderful? Concerning... The sheep that goes astray. The Lord is the one who leaves the 99. And he goes out after the one that has gone off. He must have his number. He must have his flock. He must have his people. He knows us by name. We are his. We belong to him. The shepherd takes responsibility for the sheep and that the number are in. He takes responsibility over your soul. When the Lord saved you, it wasn't anything glib. This was something that the Lord was serious about. We don't take covenant seriously these days. We treat covenant like a kind of work contract. Covenant was very serious in the ancient world, in Israel. Covenant means everything. Well, when the one goes out, the Lord goes after the one to bring them back into the fold. Such a wonderful truth. We are created by him. Now, if you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I want to show you something more about this fact of the recreation Our being born again of the Spirit in relation to the Word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, please. And I'm going to read from verse 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Hallelujah. What a wonderful phrase this is in this verse. The God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. What is Paul doing? He's referring to the Genesis narrative and making it an illustration for the conversion of our souls, for us being saved. And when you go back to Genesis 1, just turn there with me for a few moments. You'll see in Genesis 1, your salvation. Genesis chapter 1. The picture of it is there. Verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning, God. And that's what it was with your salvation, friends. In the beginning, God. He did something to bring you to himself in the beginning god created the heaven and the earth and the earth was what without form now the word form here means wasteness that which is wasted a desolation it's something that is totally like a like a desert and that's what we were like inside before the lord came into our lives It was a waste place, wasn't it? Wasn't your heart like that? Filled with all kinds of things that are not of God. And there was nothing of life. It was arid, it was dry, it was desert. That's the landscape picture of what our hearts are like before we come to the Lord. And then it goes on to say, and the earth was without form and void. Again, emptiness. Something empty. We were empty before the Lord came into our lives, weren't we? I trust you realise you were. And then it goes on to say this, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Darkness, figuratively speaking here, speaks of misery, destruction, death, ignorance, sorrow, all these things that are mentioned. Darkness throughout the uh, Hebrew scriptures speak of these things. And it says that there was <clears throat> darkness upon the face of the deep, an abyss. And that was the condition, friends, of our hearts. There was darkness. Darkness within. Before the Lord came. What is it going to say? And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And the Spirit of God began to move upon you. And then it says. And God said let there be light. And there was light. And that's exactly as it is with our salvation. God has said, essentially, in your life, let there be light. He commanded it in. And it chased away the darkness. And light shone in your heart. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. That's a picture of salvation, that is. The light comes in. The spirit moves in the heart and the light comes in. Before you were in darkness because you were dead to God and alive to sin. But praise God the scriptures say in Ephesians chapter 2 that we who were dead in trespasses and sins have now been made alive to God. What a wonderful scripture it is. Ephesians 2 says this. And you he hath quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past ye walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our, lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others but God. And now, do you see, God steps into the situation as he does so here. Who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. Life came in. Light came in. Deliverance came in. The Genesis narrative is a wonderful illustration to us of what it means to be born again. Again. When the Spirit of God moves upon your life, there's no salvation without the Spirit of God. Forget it. But when the Spirit of God comes in, there's action, there's repentance. He comes to convict the world of sin, doesn't he? And when he comes, didn't he convict you of sin? And didn't he deal with that darkness in your heart and erase that darkness, removed it, and shone his light in? Marvelous. This is what the Lord does. For us in his creating of us you know it goes on to say in 2 corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 these words therefore if any man be in christ he is a new creature old things are passed away behold all things are become new you're a new creation you are the lords if you're a new creation just as it says the lord had created jacob the lord has created us if we're born again of his spirit what does it say in ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says these words for we are his workmanship created just hang on that word for a minute for we are his workmanship created remember psalm 100 you didn't make yourself The Lord did it. The Lord did it. You're a new creation. And thank God that he's the one who's doing it. He's the one who's done it. He's the one who originated the change in your life. Because if you did it, then you can never reach glory. Because the Lord will only own what he originates. And only that which he originates will last. Everything else will be lost. In the fire, it's going to go. Nothing will remain. Whatever, However it appears in its form of something good, it will not abide unless God originated it. Because nothing can last forever. Unless God has done the work. Because it says in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 14, I know that whatever God does, it is forever. That's what the scriptures say, friends. Whatever God does, it is forever. Well, are you created by God? You're not sure. Okay, I need to work a little harder. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 14 says, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Ever, nothing can be put to it now that's an important thing to remember you can't add to the work of God that's why you, we can't begin in the spirit and end in the flesh we mustn't we must stay in what God is doing and by his grace we will I know that whatsoever God doeth it shall be forever nothing can be put to it nor anything taken from it And God doeth it that men should fear before him. Oh, wow. Makes you and I tremendously dependent on God this. It means if God doesn't move in my life, I'm finished. You say, I don't know where I stand with the Lord. Call upon him. Call on his name. But if you are the Lord's, he has said, you are mine, I have created you, you are my workmanship, I have done it. No one's going to be able to reverse what God does. Listen, you can try to interfere with the work of God, but God will not be frustrated. Ultimately, he will have his way. And if you are the Lord's, and you personally are frustrating the work of God in your life, you can be sure the Lord will allow some pretty drastic things to take place in your experience just to get you to the point where he wants to get you. Oh, the Lord is so determined. His love is a determined love. It's a set love. It's sure. It's not wavery. The Lord hasn't got a... He's not full of duplicity like us. He is set on things that's why he doesn't like double-minded men because he's not double-minded I think of the way the Lord dealt with somebody like Peter don't you find Peter an incredible character within the word of God Peter was so full of confidence in himself you know even if Whoever deserts the Lord, you can be sure I'll be there. Right to the end, he thought he could go through the cross. You know what that is? That's humanistic Christianity. If you think you can make it deep down in your heart, you've got a real belief deep down, deep down. You would never say it because it's not evangelical. But deep down in your heart, you'd really think, I know I'm not going to depart from the Lord. Others might go. I may find it difficult, but not me. Welcome to Peter's life. Join him. No, I'm going to go right through with you, Lord. So Peter decides he's going to go through with the Lord, and the Lord says, you're going to deny me. Forget it. You're going to deny me three times. And they all said, no, no, we're not going to do that. I think it's really interesting that the Lord says to Simon Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. And then the Lord says to him, but I have prayed for you. Why did the Lord say that? Because having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved unto the end. The Lord Jesus was interceding for his own. Continually, you read the Gospel of John carefully, read it through, read John 17. It's one of the most extraordinary passages in the whole of the Bible, where God, in his mercy, gives us an insight into intercession of the Son to the Father. So high. Glorious revelation. And the Lord says to Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And if you return, strengthen my brethren. Now I've made a mistake in what I've said. What have I said wrong? When you return. Not if. When. How could Jesus know that? because Peter getting right through with God wasn't dependent on Peter, but on Jesus' intercession, getting through with the Father. Jesus is interceding for you now. Has he lost his authority over your life? You are mine. Friends, if I asked you this morning, I mentioned this to the group last afternoon, last Sunday afternoon. If I asked you this morning, why did Jesus come? I wonder what you'd say to me. Would you say to me, well, Jesus just loves everybody and he wanted to show everybody a way to live and be nice to one another. Did Jesus come purely because he wanted to just show his love to us? no that's not what it says in the bible friends I'm not going to give you my own opinion I'm going to tell you what the scriptures say here so why did he come to do his father's will lo it is written of me do you remember Jesus came because he obeyed his father you say. This is extraordinary. So he didn't primarily come for us. Jesus didn't do anything independently of the Father. So what was the will of the Father then? Let me read it to you. Jesus tells us actually. Do you know that? Let me read it to you. Verse 38, Jesus says this. Oh, sorry, don't you know? Oh, no, no, sorry, John chapter 6. I was once in my old church where my dear friend and pastor, Simon Wyatt, was in the congregation, and he asked me what chapter and verse, and I just said, it came out of my mouth, I just said, don't you know, Simon? And we just all laughed together. (laughs) John chapter 6, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Okay, so what is that? And this is the Father's will which he has sent me. That of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing. But should what? Raise it up. Again at the last. Day. That's the will of God, friends. Over your life. If you're born again of the Spirit, Jesus came to secure you. Isn't that marvellous? Because He loves you. Yes, of course. It's because He wants to do the Father's will. But the whole thing is wrapped up in the love of God, isn't it? In the, He's commended His love to us in that while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. I think it's tremendous. Well, I'm nearly a quarter of a way through my message, so we're doing well. Okay. Um, well, I could talk with you like this all day. But anyway, we've got to move on. I'm going to have to do a quick knuckle ride, as it were, or whatever the phrase is, and press on. Save some for next week, Helena said. Maybe we should do that. Um, okay back to Isaiah 43 we will save things for next week let me just get on to the next phrase and then we'll call it a day the Lord goes on to say that he created thee O Jacob and he that formed thee O Israel he that formed thee now, I'm not c- clever with the Hebrew, like one or two in the room, Chrissy. but I've looked it up and Gesenius says this word full means to fashion as a pot of clay. It's is tremendous, isn't it? Is From the imagination really? So a pre- uh, in the Hebrew? And then it's Wonderful. Preconception of the mind and then going to the actual clay. Yeah. Is that right? wonderful well that's helped me immensely to mold into a form as a potter to form to fashion to frame when the lord saved you it was in his thoughts beforehand (laughs) and he didn't just save you to give you a start he's forming you forming us and what is he doing he's forming a beautiful vessel a vessel prepared for glory. We are called to glory. And God wants to make of us vessels of glory as the potter over the clay. And sometimes it hurts because the Lord presses in and deals with things in our lives. I was looking on the internet at the way that a potter deals with the clay. It's extraordinary when you look at it. But the level of concentration required to get this clay looking just right. There's no room to keep your eyes looking elsewhere. The potter must diligently be looking over the clay continually. And you are his workmanship. And the Lord is forming something beautiful in you. He's created you, but he's formed you as well. He's forming you. What is he doing Romans 8. Let's finish with this. I think it's interesting that the Lord says, Created, O Jacob, and formed, O Israel. Because Israel is the, as it were, speaks of the person that the Lord wants to make of us. Romans 8 and verse 29 For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He wants to conform us. He wants to change us. To be like his son, doesn't he? And if you've been born of the spirit, there will be traits of Jesus in your life. I don't know about you naturally I know my flesh is ugly it's sinful it's godless it's evil don't be surprised when your flesh rears its ugly head and think wow is that really me yes it is that's what we're like before we're converted but somehow the just the flesh can rear up again can't it but the Lord's seeking to deal with these things in our life and conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus he's bringing many sons to glory And so what is he doing with you in the difficult situation you're in? What is he doing with you? He's conforming you to the image of his son. You're his. You are his. You are not the potter. You're the clay. Get it the right way around now. The moment you start trying to be the potter, friends, and make yourself what you believe the Lord Jesus would make you, you are going to run very tired quickly. You're not going to be able to do it. What is the Christian life? It's his life. That's it. His life in me. Conforming me to him. So do I just have to do nothing. Do you know what I need to do? Comply. Comply. Just let him do his work in me. Allow him to change me, to conform me. Don't resist him. Allow him to have his way. There's difficulties in your life and you think they're obstacles and the Lord's saying they're part of my shaping of you. The Lord is greater than any of us. <laughs> he creates us. We are his. Goes on to talk about going through various difficulties in Isaiah 43, doesn't it? The waters, the rivers, the, all kinds of things. We will go through these things. But the Lord will be with us. And in the end... I believe there's nobody who can do a better work on you than Jesus himself. He knows what he's doing with you. He knows what needs changing in you. But remember, let me finish with this. If the Lord's dealing with you right now and he's showing you things that need to be dealt with in your life, you can take it one of two ways. You can run from it because you fear it. Or the condemnation coming in and you feel guilt. Oh, Lord, don't touch this. I can't handle the guilt, whatever it may be. I want you to remember something. This process, this forming of this vessel is all related in a sense to our sanctification, isn't it? Yes? Sanctification comes after justification. Justification if you have it the wrong way around and you're trying to sanctify yourselves to get justified with God, you are still in your sins. The Lord, listen to this, if you're born of the Spirit of God, if the Lord has met with you, you've repented of your sins, the scriptures say that you have been justified in his sight. And then he goes on to say in Romans 8, who can condemn? There's nobody who can condemn you if God has justified you because there's no higher authority. So the enemy will come against you. But listen, sanctification is the right side of justification. God doesn't sanctify us to justify us. He sanctifies us because he's justified us. He makes us right with him before he's even, we've even got on the will, so to speak. <laughs> he makes us right with him. Then he begins the process. Now, if you accept that you're right with God by means of the work of Calvary, faith in the work of the cross, repentance, if you believe that, then let the Lord be your potter. He will never do things out of spite. He's careful over you. Do you understand? He's forming you. And if something will be too much for you, he won't touch you. Do you remember what he said to his disciples? There's many things I want to say to you, but you can't receive them yet. So he doesn't say them. He wants to say them, but he realized they're not there yet. There's a tenderness in the Lord's dealings. You are His. Do you really think He's got His eyes off you now? No, let's be those brothers and sisters that really do live in the good of what the Lord has done for us and allow Him to shape us without fear of condemnation. Whatever He requires of us, let's do it. Let's be obedient, knowing that we are His knowing that he has control, knowing that he's determined to bring you to glory. May the Lord help us to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For his sake, amen. Lord, we do want to thank you that we've been able to, been able to get halfway through the message this morning. But Lord, we just pray that whatever has been of you, you would write it on our hearts. Deliver us, Lord, from becoming crippled with the condemnation of the evil one. Help us to let you have your way with us. Not to strive in our flesh, Oh, we thank you for this wonderful picture, Lord, of the potter over the clay. We thank you, Lord, that you are molding us, shaping us, transforming us from one degree of glory to another. Thank you that you've justified us and your sanctifying of us is out of your love for us. Oh, God, help us to not run from it, but to obey. For your word, this, rather the hymn says, trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. We thank you for our time together this morning, Lord, and we pray that all that's been of you, you'd be pleased to write upon our hearts. Anything got from myself, dear Lord, have mercy, I pray. Eradicate it from our ears and keep with us what is of you for your glory. And may our fellowship be sweet now, we pray.